You're listening to episode 55 of the Comics Pals. We're a group of comic book journalists and friends who record a podcast together because we don't talk enough about comics in our daily lives. So guys, unrelated story, but yesterday I met uh, one of Pennsylvania senators and I, I don't give a shit about senators. So like while I introduced myself and said hello, I saw a big ass dog lying on its back and I went, whoa, look at that dog. <laughs> and he turned and he went, oh, yeah, that's a dog. All right. <laughs> wow. It's a great story. I don't know what's worse <laughs> that you did that or that you told us you did that. Or that you told us that you did that to open the show. <laughs> I did say I was going to open the show with that. And yeah, here's the thing. You told us you were going to open the show with that, so you made us wait for it like it was going to be a good story. That's it's the best story. You guys crazy? I mean, it has a dog. Yeah. Yeah. And I kind of insulted a senator. Like, did you, did you even get to pet the dog? I mean, eventually I did. All right. Did you vote for the dog? I would. I would have indeed. Did the dog vote? Uh, unfortunately, that's not legal in this state yet. Listen, no. guys, I think dogs should vote. So, uh, I'm gonna. Do you live in New Zealand? I'm gonna take a hard, hard stance on that platform. <laughs> I think dogs should vote. Do you live in New Zealand? You can try to make that happen in New Zealand. I feel like that's probably something that could happen in New okay. Zealand. Okay. When we start the doggy pals, you guys can go off on you know dumb tangents like that. Until then, uh, who, 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 uh, who, who, who let the dogs out? <laughs> truly awful. <laughs> I can't believe that's where this went. It took us it took us 55 episodes to get there, but we finally got one in. <laughs> the coveted Baja Men joke. This has been a, a massive week, uh, Phil's dog story notwithstanding. It was a big dog. Listen, I don't give a shit about your dog, dude. <laughs> Try to run a show. You want to talk about your dog? I don't care. Uh, Yo, but for real, the news oh this week God. has been I, fucking. Be- oh, no, okay, I'm, okay. <laughs> the news this week has been bananas. That is true. We got a we've got a big dog of a show this week. Hey, we'll oh, uh, oh, I want. Off. I hate this. I want <laughs> renegotiating my contract. I no longer want to do a show with Phil. Uh, anyway, to write this ship. Um, we're going to talk about all that big news a little bit later, but I guarantee you will not be disappointed. Um, when I say this is the biggest news week, I mean it. Uh, but before we get to all that, of course, got to tell you guys where you can find us and connect with us. Um, first of all, we are on iTunes. We are a five-star rated podcast on iTunes. Go over there and shoot us a, uh, a rating, and you can leave a comment there if you'd like. We are on whatever podcast hosting platform you prefer. If we're not on there for some reason... Let us know, and we will be. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. <clears throat> uh, you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. And last but not least, we are on YouTube. YouTube, you can leave this video a like, share it with your friends, subscribe to our channel, do all that jazz. You can leave a comment as well if you are so inclined. And definitely, definitely, definitely be sure to share this podcast with your friends and let them know we exist, and that you like what we do. So, uh, one of the things we're going to talk about a little later is the whole Fox-Disney thing, which I'm super, super excited to get into uh, because it's very juicy. But we got to do our random question of the week first. And so, the question is, what one character would you like to see featured more prominently 
on film in their respective universe. So that allows for Fox, the Marvel films, or the Disney films, and you can only pick one character. So not Warner Brothers? Um, yeah, the, the DC films. Oh, sorry, sorry. All right. Uh, so uh, does that count for, like, teams, or just is this one, just one character? Yeah, one character. Marco, you want to go first? As you... Is it... Uh, wait, let me guess. Let's guess. Let's guess Marco's answer. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. All right. All right. Let's see. Who would Marco want to see? I think the answer... I mean, it's got to be Batman. It might It might be Batman. Um, Wrong. I, I'm sorry, who? Batman. That's, 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 is he new? The Batman. <laughs> I don't know I if I've, that guy. I don't know if I've heard of this. Uh, I'm this, this character. The Batman. The Batman. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna say Man Thing. Oh. Oh, could be. <laughs> I heard he's. I I heard Marco likes the Man Thing. Yep, I I love a man's thing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! Oh, wait, sorry. Who let the dogs out? <laughs> All right, you can't do that twice, man. Yeah. <laughs> Rule three. It's coming one more time when you least expect it. If you pull out a dog, a who let the dogs out in the first act, you've got to fire it in the third. <laughs> so so um, you all might have expected Swamp Thing, but actually, I kind of want to see the spirit. Ooh. Oh. Wait, he's already what, had one, though. And What's his... What, he's not in... Is he in D.C.? He, I he was. I, I, I don't know. I don't know I who think, owns the the those rights anymore. Um, I think Dynamite. But he does. was. No, we're yeah. We're talking about. We're only talking about Marvel, DC, and Fox. Boo! Oh. Then I'm then I'm picking Detective Chimp. Oh, that right. that's, that's a good, that's a solid. Yeah. Yeah. I'd watch that movie. Yeah. I think I boy oh boy. Phil Phil wants to see a biopic on Grant. Well, I've already watched a documentary on him. Oh, I didn't even know there was one. There you go. That's good. That's a good one. The hard part about this is I feel like the the smaller characters in DC, the the B heroes and the C list heroes, are often a lot more interesting than the Marvel ones. For sure. But like historically the DC movies are worse than the Marvel ones. So that's real real tough. Uh and you won't let me have a team movie. Well you have a teen movie either. Yeah. Certainly not another teen movie. Oh my god, we are just <laughs> we can... We're on cruise control, yeah. baby. <laughs> Phone it in the episode. <laughs> I'm gonna go with blue and gold. Booster Gold and Blue Beetle uh, blue gold blue gold movie. Do you know oh. that those are two characters? <laughs> uh, Fuck it. You know what? I want a Legion of Superhero yeah. Superheroes movie. So, so there you have it. I want to. I want to. I want a, a lightning lad movie guest starring the rest of the Legion of Superheroes. I want all you off this podcast, but we can't all get what we want, can we? <laughs> all right, I'll go. I'll go with a Ted Cord movie. That'd be solid. Ted Cord uh, and featuring Yami Rays. Ooh, the question would be good. Oh, the question would be good. I've always, I, uh, for a little while, I was, and don't steal this internet, TM, 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 TM. Uh, I, um. Is that your Twitter handle? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, for a while, I was working on a, a concept of, like, the, the question as a, a 40s uh, sort of Agent Carter 
analog uh, as like a, a TV series uh, with Renee Montoya sort of gradually growing into nice. the question role and taking it over from um, Big the other guy. That's the one. A Dr. Fate movie would be cool. Yes, I agree with that. Um, I guess it's tough. Uh, I'm going to go with, I mean, this is a no-brainer. It'll happen eventually, but I'm going to go with Miss Marvel. Hmm. Kamala Khan. Yeah. Oh, Kamala Khan. Yeah. I, I, I'm a big believer that there's potential there on, on screen with that character. hundred percent. Yeah. You know what? I, th- I think that movie would do really well, even as an animated feature. I don't, yeah. I, they wouldn't. They wouldn't need to animate it, but I think it would do really well. I think I've actually seen a rumor that that might happen as a television show. Isn't there? Yeah, isn't there a new uh, Young Avengers Champions esque show coming out at some point? Maybe we're thinking of the same thing. I think. Yeah, I feel like we are. So yeah, that would. I I think that would be super cool, and I definitely think that that character is poised to sort of make a splash at some point it's she's got to um into into nor normie culture <laughs> can we not jesus listen if you're listening to this podcast and you don't read comic books you're a normie i'm sorry let's not offend uh, i'll offend whoever i want listeners within this 2017 minutes <laughs> i don't know Sean. if they've listened I mean, this far listened- they're already offended <laughs> they, chances are they're already offended. As am I. I'm offended. Yep, I'm so offended. Uh, let's do pals pulls. Uh, so first, we've got Kale with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles number seventy six. Now, don't let this big number fool you. This is part one of the invasion of the Triceratons. Oh tri- tri- man, Triceratons, uh, the big Triceratops alien villains that the Ninja Turtles fight. Uh, so this is a great jumping on point. If you're into watching the Ninja Turtles beat up aliens and dinosaurs. Uh, so highly recommended. Well, well, is there any pizza? It's a Ninja Turtles book. Does a bear shit in the woods? <laughs> Cowabunga, dude. <laughs> That's the Kevin Eastman stuff, right? I think so. Tom Waltz, right? Kevin Eastman. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, nice. it's the same. It's the same people then. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of the Ninja Turtles, uh, it was revealed last night that they will actually be in Injustice 2. Oh, baby. Oh, it looks so good. I cannot wait to see how that works. I heard Swamp Thing got like buffed up too. He did get buffed. Swamp Thing did get buffed. So I plan to to play a Swamp Thing. Um, Rock some socks. That's right. Uh, Did not skip leg day. Also from Kale, we've got Journey to Star Wars: The Last Jedi, Captain Phasma, Volume One. It's a mouthful. Wow, that's a mouthful. Uh, Captain Phasma is awesome. She's uh, she's probably my favorite character from the new trilogy, even though we didn't get anything from her in the movie. It was disappointing. I especially liked her with that one line. Yeah. Oh, sorry. With that only line. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited to get to dive into her character more. Have you read this or? No. no. Okay. Not yet. No, not yet. Yeah. So I read the first three issues and it's it's all right. It's solid. I think you'll get something out of it. Fair. 
I mean, if if what I want is more of the character, which it is, then yeah. Definitely. Um, so from me, we've got Batman, Batman 35. I'm not going to belabor it. It's Tom King. It's Batman. You know the drill. Uh, but also from me and Phil is the Batman who laughs. Number one, this is a Dark Knight's metal one shot. Um, think this is the last one. Pretty sure. I think you're right. Yeah. The last of the ones that focus on one shots. Yeah. The ones that focus on the dark Batman. Cause we are getting Batman lost. Uh, sometime soon um, but that's not one of these that's like a, it's a one shot and it's kind of a separate deal in terms of not focusing on the villains um, so I'm excited to see this one I mean it's you know the Batman who laughs is probably the most interesting I think of these yeah there's a lot of intrigue built around that character I think yeah and they deliberately did him last and he's kind of been the linchpin between all these evil Batman. So I'm dying to see what his origin is. Yeah, this should be interesting. Could be good. Could be good. Uh, so with those wise words of wisdom, like that, www. Yeah, it was pretty good. No, no, you know what? It was, it was, it was pretty good. No. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before we transition, uh, can I make one comment real quick? Since it's... Uh, kind of related. I had the best fucking segue, man. And then you. What is this compliment ah. corner? Thought <laughs> 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 this was pals pulls. Go ahead, CC. Go ahead. I just wanted to. Uh, I, I just wanted to address the last week's uh, issue of Mister Miracle that came out was probably the best in the in the in the series so far. I thought it was fucking bananas. I knew I was gonna regret not reading that one. I have it. I own it. But I. Uh, haven't had the chance to read it yet. Yeah, just one quick plug. If you're not reading that book, go read it. God, I want that to come out on trade so bad. Just, man, I wish it would hurry up. I mean, it's going to be a while, huh? Sorry, but go um, on. That's all I wanted to say. Yeah, so I'm going to do my due diligence and check that out because it has been really, really good. And if you're saying it's the best yet, that's high praise. So, <clears throat> now... We're going to jump into the news. Massive, massive news week, as we said at the top of this deal. So one of the biggest things to happen this year uh, is definitely the following, which is that Disney was, is, was in talks to purchase 21st Century Fox. Now, that's a bombshell all on its own. Um We'll talk about how this shakes out first, what what they would have bought, um, because it's not as simple as it seems. Uh, so they're not trying to buy Fox, right? They're not trying to buy the entire entity known as Fox. They only wanted uh, the portions that were film and television related, but not the sports and not the news. So they wouldn't have been purchasing you know, FS1 or Fox News or anything like that. It was just for the film and television properties. Uh, so obviously what that means is they would have gotten X-Men and the Fantastic Four back into the fold at Marvel. Uh, so obviously they threw the internet into a tizzy because, you know, think of the possibilities. Um, it also would have included FX and National Geographic, but nobody cares about that. Um, well, I'm an National fan. Geographic. Well, well, God, guys. <laughs> Na- 
Nat Geo got bought by Rupert Murdoch, I believe, two years ago, and it really took a nosedive under him. Wow, I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's honestly that's more fascinating than the the <laughs> Disney buying Fox. <laughs> um so a big reason why they wanted to do this was because obviously Disney is launching their streaming service and the reality of that deal is that they don't have a ton of a library and you would think that they do because it's Disney but they actually don't in comparison to uh, Netflix what they have to offer is actually significantly less and so for example uh Disney has 500 films and around 7000 hours or episodes rather of television whereas Netflix has 4335 movies and 1,197 series, but that's in 20, 2016. So that's actually 25% less. Disney has 25% less to offer than Netflix does. Um, Sean, right do you know, does that, does that include, um, like the, the older Disney films? Or is this just the, the current, like Marvel stuff? Um, no, this is encompassing everything that Disney has. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So pretty, pretty interesting stuff. Um, so obviously everybody lost their minds. This is a a huge news or (laughs) it is huge news. Um, but as quickly as we learned this information, the talks were ended. The talks were over. It it was a half hour later, man. Like, like by the time... Or news organizations really started cranking this stuff out. It was done. Yeah. Um, but according to IGN, it's not as over as we think. Um, and this is this is a report that they put out um, piggybacking off of something that CNBC said, which is that pencils aren't down when it comes to drawing up a deal that would as original reports suggested, see Fox sell the rights to its film, TV productions, and properties to Disney, save for select divisions like Fox Business and Fox Sports. And there's a quote from David Faber at CNBC. It does appear at the very least that they have not abandoned the idea of that combination. So maybe don't hold your breath, but the talks aren't necessarily completely dead forever. So what do you guys think about this? terrible it'd be absolutely it'd it'd be be really bad um looking at the studio market share for 2017 so far this is according to box office mojo disney made up 17 percent of the total market share for film this is just film and fox made up 13 percent if you were to combine those two and obviously it'd probably it'd probably be rounded down but it'd still be 30 percent of the market share and that'd be ridiculous. Like anything to marginalize any kind of monopoly, whether it's in entertainment or otherwise, should absolutely be encouraged because it'd be a fucking disaster. I I take your point, uh, but as a you know, look, I'm a, I'm a fanboy, and I just want to see <laughs> Marvel have the rights to the Fantastic Four and the X Men and all that other stuff you're talking about. You know, it's logical stuff. Not coming from a logical place. <laughs> I, yeah, that's the hard part about this news. It's like, yeah, Disney is like 
two steps away from owning the clothes on my back. Like, but I could have the X Men <laughs> in the Marvel Universe. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know, even from even from like a creative standpoint, um, I like that Fox Studios has been taking risk with uh, the IPs that they do own, which is something Marvel doesn't do. Man, uh, uh, we have had this discussion so many times. I, I just, I hope, I, I wholly disagree. But you don't wholly disagree; you mostly disagree. Mm, I don't know, Logan. Logan. I'll give you Logan and Deadpool. That's what I'm saying. Like, we don't wholly agree. Those are not risks. Uh, uh, I think they kind a of rated are. R Wolverine movie is literally what everyone's been asking for since Wolverine became a character on screen. So I don't it's think common, making it's a, common sense. <laughs> yeah, it's, that's not a risk. Doing the obvious thing is not a risk. The reason why it's a risk is because anytime you make any film rated R, is you risk losing the general audience. And that was what they were worried about, that general money. Sure, diehard comic book fans have said, yeah, we need a fucking Wolverine movie, but studios, for the longest time, thought, we always have the hardcore fans. Who cares? I I won't belabor this argument, but I will say yeah, that yeah. I think it's, I think it's, it, you would, you're hard-pressed to sell me on the idea that at any point in time, but especially now, a Logan movie wouldn't have done well, especially if it was good. Um, but Marco, do you have any thoughts about the potential of Disney buying Fox? I'm for it. I sorry, Phil, but I um I want to see some scrolls, man. I you are seeing see scrolls. They're gonna they're gonna be in Captain Marvel. Who are the ones that are the aliens? The Brood. I want to see the Brood. Yeah, I like the Brood. I think yeah. At, at the very least, I think the continued the continued talks probably means we will get the X Men and the Fantastic Four. Um, the rest of that stuff, like I, I think, probably will lead to some sort of litigation or some sort of well, depending on how long Trump stays in office, but uh, probably will lead to some sort of litigation, some sort of investigation. I can't imagine. This would uh, go down I mean, clean. You'd be surprised. Like the antitrust laws in this country have really slipped in the last like forty years. The point where companies like Exxon and Mobil can merge and have like a fifty percent monopoly on oil. Like our country doesn't give a shit about that stuff anymore. Well, I would say that this is this is a less egregious form of that um, because. <clears throat> First of all, you said they would make up 30% of the market share. And I think that's kind of an illusion. That's a falsehood because they can't actually, they won't produce the same number of films if you combined the two entities. Yeah. So that's why I said round down, r- but farther down than like far, far, far farther down than 30% because it would still be Disney shelling out the money and all that stuff. At that point, they'd be competing with each other for, or with rather, with themselves for well, time for these films. There's more information there. Fire off. So the the top two uh, studios of 2017 is actually Time Warner, which makes up 19.9% of the market share, and 
NBC slash Universal, which makes up 17.5% of the market share. And then this is the other aspect of that, is the movies tracked. Time Warner has made 29 films this year. NBC slash Universal has made 24, whereas Disney's only made 10, and Fox has made 25. So if that were, I mean, presumably maybe like, you know, if it's Disney, maybe 15, 17 films in a year. If you had Fox, I don't know. The reason why I don't see that happening is because, again, like take the take the Marvel films for example. They release about three a year now. I think at the most you would see them put out one more movie per year in that you know in in that world because they can't. If they put out too many, they're going to be competing with themselves for attention. And on top of that, I'm sure that there is aware as we are of the quote unquote burnout possibility. Um, maybe that doesn't matter, but I don't think that we would see their presence jump up that much. Like I said earlier, I think this has more to do with streaming because they want to have a catalog to compete with Netflix. And yeah. Fox currently owns Buffy, uh, Futurama. I mean, you think about all the things that Fox has that would bolster their streaming possibilities hugely because Disney wants to own that market. Um, in fact, uh, right now, um, we talked a little bit about how much Disney actually has in terms of their library. Um, so there was some talk and some conversation about how to deal with the pricing. And um, Bob Eager was talking about this. Uh, I think that's how you say his name. Uh, he's the head at Disney. And he said the following, uh, we're not ruling out licensing third-party content provided the product fits within the Disney brand. Uh, so they're looking, they're chomping at the bit to try to find something to make this, you know, a better, a better deal because pricing has come up and they can't charge what Netflix charges right now because they don't have the Netflix catalog. Uh, in fact, Eager had this to say regarding that subject. We've given a lot of thought to pricing. I can't get specific with you yet because we haven't determined it yet. It will be substantially below Netflix because we'll have substantially less volume. So the Fox buy would change that narrative big time. Speaking of Disney's streaming service, though, it looks like that might cost us the Netflix shows at Marvel. Wimp. Boo. Yes. Uh, so the Washington Journal published an, an article uh, related to the whole uh, purchase of Fox, and it kind of confirms uh, what I was talking about re- in relation to trying to compete with Netflix. Um, and the Disney chief strategy officer, Kevin Mayer, talked a little bit about that and had the following to say. We've turned our attention to the one platform seeing growth challenges. That's the television platform. Uh, and so, of course... He also said it's not an anti-Netflix movie or movie move, but a pro Disney move, which sounds about right. Um, but what this sounds is gonna- like an anti-Netflix move to me. <laughs> uh, but what this means is that in the future, all the Marvel productions that they do uh, will be on their streaming service. What we don't know yet is whether or not this affects the shows that they already have. Do we still get the future seasons of the shows that are currently out? What do you guys think? 
So there's been a mass exodus of content from Netflix over the last year, and it's only it's only snowballing larger and larger because of these different com- parent companies pulling their content and endeavoring into their own um, streaming service, you know, plans. We see it with CBS right now. CBS is aggressively trying to move forward their own service uh, streaming service platform. What's it called? CBS. Whatever. All, ac- all access. I think so. Uh, and this is, this is happening across the board. So I, I imagine Marvel will pull the IP products from Netflix and, and endeavor to create this all Disney oriented um, streaming service. And that, that fucking sucks. The question about that, though, is those things do have Netflix's name on them. Like Netflix put the money behind that, didn't they? As far as I know. So I I don't know if they Billy could. Colony. Yeah. Yeah, those are um, those are Netflix originals. Those are Netflix yeah. series that they funded and everything. So you're I think you're you're making a good point. Uh also I it's it's worth pointing out that um because I live in a different country now, uh things are different here, obviously. Um but in terms of Netflix, like I can watch Star Trek Discovery every week on Netflix. Yeah, yeah. Netflix, Netflix in other countries has they're a lot. It's a lot more lenient. Uh, I know, like when I would go to like to Ecuador, they would have like every, basically every single movie like ever, and it, it, like they they had I think right after Avengers came out, they had it up on Netflix within like a week, maybe. Wow. Like it, it, it's weird. It, it, it's only here that we have like so limited. Yeah, I, I, uh, I watch Riverdale the day after it premieres in the U.S. on Netflix. Yeah, that's amazing. So I, I wonder how this will affect the rest of the world and Netflix in the in the streaming service. You live in New Zealand, man. It's just everything's upside down there, literally, because it's the other part of the planet. That implies that the Earth is round, man, and uh, <laughs> that's true. No, it implies the Earth is flat because he's on the other side of it. But he said it was upside down. You can't be upside down on a flat <laughs> planet without us all falling into space. <laughs> Bobby Ray Simmons taught me that the world is flat. That's all I need to know. <laughs> oh man, uh, moving right along. Uh, this news story is near and dear to my heart because, as we all know. Jean Grey is making her grand triumphant return to Marvel Comics. And ahead of that return, they have announced a new series called X-Men Red, written by Tom Taylor with art by Mahmoud Asrar. Tom Taylor is great, by the way. Um, He writes the X-23 book, All New Wolverine currently. It's awesome. Um, Yeah, I really like it. So she's got a new costume. And it's kind of inspired by the 90s aesthetic. Um, and it looks like she's going to be leading this team. Uh, in fact, it's kind of tagged Jean Grey's new team of X-Men debuts in February 2018. The only problem that I have with this is, is that, that Jean Grey's coming back. Man, you're right, Sean. That's a, that's a big move. I, it's a real gamble on Marvel's part. I, I don't know if they'll be able to pull it off. I, I got to be honest with you. Listen, um, Jean Grey without the Phoenix is just... Kale, 
you're you're not you're not winning over anyone right now, man. This announcement comes ahead of even the debut of her return uh, in Phoenix Resurrection by Matthew Rosenberg, which comes out next month. So they're already telling me that she's going to persist beyond her return, which kind of sucks because even though I'm super happy she's going to stay around, I kind of wanted the not knowing. You know, I, I didn't want to know how that was going to shake out until it happened. And you can't do that anymore in modern comics. You mean you didn't want to know that Captain America wasn't Hydra? Maybe not. Maybe I would have liked to have seen the story play out. (laughs) You've not been consistent at all. How? Explain. It was a joke! Sarcasm! I mean, you never know on this show, man. You never know. Do we do we know anything else about the book? I didn't know it was going to be a team book. I thought it was going to be a another Jean Grey solo. No, this is um this is X Men Red. So her name's not even in the in the title. It's just- Listen, I know what the title is. I asked you a very specific question. <laughs> okay, Kale. So oh do you God. think they're going to have a book called X Men Red with just focused on Jean Grey? Listen, I'm the biggest Jean Grey fan on the planet, but even I don't think that they're going to do that. They've already got a Jean Grey book. Why do they need another Jean Grey book? That's a great question. So why would it be a Jean Grey focused book called X-Men Red? Listen, man, because she's got red hair. Everybody knows Marvel has a thing for redheads. I don't know, Sean. I just asked a question. Why can't you just ask a question? Listen, save those kind of questions for the CBR forums, okay? This is the comics. <laughs> Any other oh, man. thoughts about this? Who let the dogs yeah. out? Oh, there Son it is. Bitch. You couldn't even wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, no, but really, uh, what do has have there been any announcements on who's on the team? Or uh, no, we don't know anything other than that it's coming out. Which again, I think is really weird. I think it's really weird that they would say this so far ahead of her even being alive. She's not even alive, and we're we're talking about. What she's going to be doing when she's alive. Well, wait till you see. She's going to wind up being Jean Grey, agent of Hydra. No. And that's how she comes back. She's resurrected by Hydra. I would really dislike that. Like, really that, a lot. The idea of that gave me diarrhea. <laughs> Gross. That's true, listeners. He's on the turlet. Turlet? Turlet. <laughs> He's on the turlet. <laughs> that's, what they, that's what they call it in New Zealand. What a botch. <laughs> he's on the barbie and the turlet <laughs> alright moving right along uh, Marvel or not, not Marvel Mark Millar and Netflix broke the internet earlier this year when they announced a huge deal between Millar World and Netflix uh, with Millar to produce comic books for Netflix that would kind of create a pipeline between the creation of the comic and then putting it on screen in some kind of format, whether it be television or film for Netflix. Uh, and we finally know what the first book is going to be. Um, it's called The Magic Order, uh, and it's going to be written by Millar and drawn by Olivier Coipel, who is a superstar. Uh, I can't wait for that team up, quite frankly. Uh, but here's the synopsis for the book. 
We live in a world where we've never seen a monster, and these people are the reason we sleep safely in our beds. Magic meets the mob in the magic order, as five families of magicians sworn to protect our world for generations must battle an enemy who is picking them off one by one. By day, they live among us as our neighbors, friends, and co-workers, but by night, they are the sorcerers, magicians, and wizards that protect us from the forces of darkness, unless the darkness gets them first. Uh, so it's going to be a six issue run that debuts in the spring of 2018. What we don't know is what the timeline is for the creation of this comic and then into some sort of Netflix series. So what do you guys think? Um, we called it, I think like it, it, well, not, not in the sense of like, they're taking their show properties and then making them into comics, but like it could be vice versa from here um and as for like what they plan to do like i guess depending on the success of this um man i really want to see a stranger things comic like that'd be cool uh but if we don't get that like whatever i'm i'm down for this stuff um it seemed superhero-y and i was like hmm <laughs> um it's not swampy enough it's not swampy enough um i don't know i might get it could be good i think i think we sort of mentioned this when we talked about it but uh especially especially now that it's coming back around i i i wish that with announcements like this the companies would actually support like independent creators like mark millar is you know obviously himself an independent creator but he's, he's also he's also a big name he's a, he's a brand yeah it it kind of sucks that companies like this won't give someone else a chance so when we first talked about that or about the the deal i think that was one of the things that we brought up i know i brought it up pretty heavily um that I would hope that this deal would encompass some of the smaller time creators that Mark Millar has shown an interest over the years in helping because he has done the contests and things like that to try to help, you know, up and coming creators. But actually, uh, something that we didn't cover a few weeks back, uh, he did an interview. I can't remember who it was with, but they asked him, will you be bringing on, you know, creators who aren't well known to work on some of these properties? Or is it going to be sort of your vehicle the way that Malar World kind of has been, just you teaming up with high-profile creators to do these books? And he said it's just going to be more of the same. So we can definitely rule out, for the time being anyway, based on his words, the possibility of him bringing on any kind of writers who are not him to work on these projects. Yeah, that sucks. Like, I, I get it on both standpoints. Like, this is great for Mark Millar. This is going to be great for Netflix, I think. Um, but it it kind of sucks for, you know, everybody else. Yeah, and it just it doesn't do much for me. I'm not a big Mark Millar fan. I think he's kind of gimmicky. I think he does a lot of the same stuff, especially over the last 10, 15 years. He kind of resorts on a lot of gore. Um, I'm, I'm, yeah, it's just, I'm, I'm indifferent. Have you read so – you, you haven't read any of his recent stuff, I assume? I read Chrononauts. I read Kick-Ass. Um, I also read... Jupiter's Jupiter Circle? 
Was that Jupiter Circle? I think he's no, but I read Kingsman and like uh, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan. I think I don't, I, I, I don't, I don't think he's a great writer unless he has someone working with him. I think he has good ideas. I'm not super crazy about a lot of the execution, though. I think Mark Millar works great when he's got a great editor. Um, yeah. That's how I've always had. Like, I felt that way very seriously after Civil War. Because I felt like all his books after Civil War were kind of like, especially his independent stuff, was kind of just like throwing stuff at the wall. Yeah. Um, but... That being said, I do believe he's put out some really cool stuff over the last sure. few years. Um, uh. <laughs> so, uh, Empress is awesome. I really, really enjoyed that book. Oh. Um, he also put out Huck, which I really liked. Oh, is, is it? I, I've been meaning to pick it up. Yeah. Huck is, yeah. Huck is super good. Um, the Jupiter's Legacy Jupiter Circle stuff. I picked up like one issue and dropped it, but Reborn is really good as well. Yo, yeah, that's good. Yeah, so I I would revisit him. I would give him another chance because it feels like he's found a place where he's kind of comfortable telling very wildly different stories with each series that kind of have the, an entirely unique ecosystem. He is not taking the same concepts and applying them to each book anymore. No, I know, and I, I admit it as such. I think he's creative. I think he has good ideas. It's just the execution always feels off to me. Yeah, I, 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 like I said, I have the same criticisms. I'm just encouraging you to give him another chance because the criticisms that you have, that I also had, have been assuaged over the last three years. Okay. Um, Checks out. Yeah. So <laughs> I, I will I will pick this up. I will pick up the magic order. Am, am I alone? Oh, those are dog sounds. <laughs> Listen, if you like it, I will give it a chance. I like that. That's where we're at in our relationship. That I think that's a good thing. I'm, I think it's a great thing. Trust me, that's a great thing. God, just get we're married already. Fuck, trying to, dude. We are trying to, but. We're probably going to move to New Zealand or something. It's legal. I don't know why you don't just stay. It's fine. So Tessa Thompson is riding high off of her performance as Valkyrie in Thor Ragnarok, which uh, we did a review of last week. So you can check that out. That's the Comics Pals episode 54. Uh, So in my mind, I was thinking, what's she going to do next? Well, uh, as it turns out, she might be interested in a role in a potential saga film or television series. Oh, that'd be really good. So a fan tweeted at Tessa Thompson that they thought she would make a great Alana from Saga. Alana's the main character. Um, well, yeah. So she's the main character in that uh, series. And Thompson tweeted the following. Oh, my, in all caps. I'm very obsessed with Saga. That would be so dreamy. And then she tweeted a cover from one of the issues of the comic. Uh, So I I think that's awesome. Now, granted, there is no announcement of any kind of saga film or show or anything like that. This is just sort of Tessa Thompson dream casting herself as Alana. Any thoughts? Yeah. um, 
Brian K. Vaughn has been very explicit about him not wanting Saga to be translated to uh, either a TV show or a movie. Um, he says that specifically he makes the comic... Uh, he makes the comic in a way that it would be impossible to um, get give it a, a, a movie treatment. Um, so, I mean, yeah, this is a cool casting idea, but it's not going to happen. And I'm not sure if I want Saga to be a film either. I don't think everything needs to be adapted because Hollywood is bankrupt on its own ideas. But uh, as like you said, Marco, as a casting idea, I, I could totally see it. I think it'd be a good fit. I am not sold on the idea that this won't happen. Uh, I think that, you know, look, I respect Brian K. Vaughn's stance. And I, am, I agree with what you said, Phil, in that I don't think everything has to be adapted. But money talks. That doesn't and, mean that doesn't mean everything won't be adapted, right? <laughs> and I think that maybe when Saga is over, uh, who knows how long that'll be? But maybe when it's over, and they're not reaping the benefits of that product anymore on a monthly basis, there's an opportunity to maybe make some money. Brian K. Vaughn is no stranger to Hollywood; he has written a lot for Hollywood um, products, so it wouldn't be crazy. For him to show run or lead right on a show that is based on Saga. With his blessing, with his creative juices flowing for that series, I could see that being something really cool. Uh, that guys, just so you know, head shaking on a podcast, not really letting the audience know how we feel. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, I want the audience to guess how I feel. <laughs> I don't I don't have a horse in this race. I just assume they'll tell me how I feel anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Uh, I'm hopeful for this. I would like to see this. I think Tessa Thompson is badass, and I can't wait to see where she kind of goes next, and Saga would be great, so. So as I say, which is the catchphrase of our podcast, could be good. Uh, so unfortunately, we have to talk about something not so funny, uh, because BuzzFeed has published, Ooh. BuzzFeed? No. Uh, Ooh. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Has published an article, <clears throat> a particularly uh, scathing article, about Eddie Berganza, uh, who is an editor at DC Comics, um... And the article goes into excruciating detail about sexual harassment allegations made against Braganza over the years uh, by five different women. Um, the first one that they make mention of took place in 2006. Uh, and it's kind of everything that you expect to hear, unfortunately. Um with everything that's going on in Hollywood right now, kind of started by the Harvey Weinstein allegations, uh, every corner of the world is kind of now shining a light on these people. And um, Eddie Berganza has been known about for a long time. Um, <clears throat> in fact, there have been articles written about him for a long time. But I do want to kind of guide us through some of the allegations and some of the things that have taken place with him over the years. Um, in fact, uh, Greg Rucka, who 
writes or wrote Wonder Woman uh, recently would only write the character with the expressed fact that Eddie Braganza would no longer edit that title. He used to edit it. Greg Rucker got him off that book. Uh, Alex DeCampi, who is, you know, a, a, a comics legend, um, wrote about how no women were allowed to work with Eddie in the Superman offices because of these allegations. Uh, Eddie is the editor on Superman, and basically, as a result of this, women couldn't work in that office. An office that has Supergirl as a, a character, you know? A, a book being published called Supergirl, women can't even write or edit for that book. Now, granted, that is an allegation. We don't know that to be a fact, but that's what's been reported over the years. Um, <clears throat> so the following I'm about to read is from a Bleeding Cool article. Uh, a number of sexual harassment complaints against Braganza had been made over previous years. Um, and as a result, he was demoted from executive editor to group editor and banned from attending comic conventions for DC Comics. He underwent a number of sanctions and behavioral modifications, modification programs maintained or mandated rather by Warner Brothers Human Resources Department with a reputation for their stringency. I understand that initially he told colleagues that he was a closeted gay man and that these actions had been as a result of overcompensation. But that didn't last long. After completing the sanctions to Warner's approval, Braganza was later given the Superman titles back, was allowed to attend comic conventions again, and I understand there have been no such offenses, offenses reported since. However, the secrecy around this situation has fueled much anger. When Braganza started returning to conventions, I was aware of a plan of action to plaster the DC Comics booth with his, with his face and a not-wanted label. It came to not. So... A lot of people, obviously, are really, really upset about this. Um, there was a story um, back a few years ago that Shelley Bond was let go at DC Entertainment uh, because of her price tag. They felt she was too expensive, um, and she was blamed for some of the failures at DC, and uh, they sort of rolled back that line. Um, and Eddie Braganza was allowed to stay on. And a lot of people were very, very pissed about the way that that shook out. Um, back to the BuzzFeed piece. Uh, it, I mean, it's a story that you unfortunately expect. Um, women who were inappropriately touched or spoken to who leave DC, uh, while Eddie remains, um, this is a quote from Janelle Asselin, a former DC editor who spearheaded the multi-employee HR complaint against Braganza in 2010. She says, we are we all left and he's still there. That, to me, tells me what DC Comics' priority is. Uh, now, if you want to read the article, we'll have a link to it. You can do that. What do you, what do you guys sort of want to say about this? I uh I've been following uh Janelle Aslan's career uh or had been up until recently when she when she left comics. Uh and it, she left comics because of all the the hate and the bullshit that was attached to Eddie Barganza and uh you know sort of the gamergate fuckboy um business that all of this drags out. Um so thanks. 
but um uh yeah she she's been going she's been crusading on this uh for a long time uh so like this uh, like you know like the article says like these these allegations and these uh you know accounts of these stories have been coming out forever and it's absolutely disgusting that even only now that this article has come out that he's only gone through behavioral behavioral modification fuck that he needs to be worse than fired he needs to be blacklisted he needs to be fucking this is insane the fact that this is only happening just now <sighs> yeah uh, like I this agree. this puts just such a pain in my chest that is unimaginable this this whole thing that has there's been a lot of attention put on sexual harassment and sexual assault and and, and, and things of that nature the last couple of weeks. And it's not obviously just in the film or television industry, but it's happening in comics, it's happening in government, uh, the judicial branch, all public spheres. People are uh, victims are coming out and speaking about this. And it's, it's, it's a mixture of it, it really sucks because, you know, in a lot of cases, there's a lot of people that we really like that we're finding out did really bad things. At the same time, it's it's almost cathartic because these things get have for for decades just get swept under the rug, or people who have been wronged are treated as being liars. But all this needs to be brought out, and we need to better ourselves as a society. That's that's really what it is, and we can't do it if we just ignore this huge problem. Yeah, I think the. I think the open discussions that or rather I think they should become more of open discussions and less so like hush hush and we shouldn't be looking at this from a lens of like taboo to talk about but more actionable and realizing that you know these are like like Kale said like he's something needs to happen to to this guy and to these people um for us to just advance as a society yeah it's a societal and cultural problem um i'm not sure what the fix is but this is i mean this conversation is where it has to start at the very least so in 2015 uh there were also charges against uh an editor uh scott alley from uh dark horse and, uh, you know, how this has been settled, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I bring this up uh, to one point out that, you know, it's not just Eddie Berganza. Um, this is rampant in the comics industry and others as well. Um, but one thing I, I wanted to point out is that uh, when this came out in 2015, the uh, Dark Horse founder and president put out a statement and i'm just going to read this little quote uh because i think it is pertinent here it says uh under no circumstances any individual harbored in this particular case action was taken immediately though we did not and cannot perform a, a public flogging as some might wish uh unquote 
Um, that's exactly what I want. That's exactly what I think the public wants. And I think even just, you know, this is two, two years on. Yeah, this is October 2015 uh, that this uh, story came out. Uh, two years on, I think, uh, I think that's, that is, it sounds like that's where we are as a society now. So let's flay them alive. Like, fuck it. Well, in lieu of that, uh, I am glad that things like this are happening, that we are getting these hit pieces and I don't have any problem calling them that. I don't think that that's a negative thing. I think it's good to write hit pieces about people who do shit like this because this is not cool. Um, it's not cool at all. And it's amazing that there could be this many reports about one person and that he would sort of continue to have success in this industry and have, quite frankly, supporters. There are people who absolutely support him. So this is from the BuzzFeed article. Uh, within the comics industry, Braganza has sympathizers. One former DC employee who spoke to BuzzFeed News said it was not fair that allegations years in the past should be revived, and he accused some women of making it their personal mission to destroy this man's career. This man made an error in judgment, but served his time and paid the penalty. The continued assault against him equates to a witch hunt, which is a problem that needs to be eradicated from the industry. This former employee said DC took complaints about Braganza seriously and that it was his understanding Braganza had behaved appropriately, behaved appropriately in the workplace since that time. Another DC employee echoed this perception that Braganza is reformed. No new allegations involving him have surfaced since the 2012 WonderCon incident. His reputational rehabilitation apparently coincided with DC's long-awaited company-wide move from New York to California in 2015, when about half the staff left the company rather than go west. So, apparently, this is something that some people think is wrong, that we shouldn't be going after him, that he should be left alone. Uh, that is a dicey subject and out of the scope, I think, of this of this talk. But that being said, um, how are women supposed to feel who want to work at DC knowing that this guy is there? Whether there have been reports about him in the last two years or not. Two years is not a long time, you know? Uh, and all you're thinking is, when's he going to do it again? Is it going to be me? And no one wants to have to deal with that. So I would, I would just like to say thank you to BuzzFeed. I think this is great that they did this. I know they got a lot of flack. Um, and I know there are a lot of people who think that they did this for clicks because of the era that we're living in right now. Whether that's true or not, the fact of the matter is that now these women have a voice that's being heard, and that's what matters to me. That's that's great. And we'll see how DC reacts. Um, more than anything, I think what happens like what happens next is more indicative of um the company and like reactions. What's interesting to me, or kind of what, what where my mind has gone with this is DC has a lot of goodwill right now. You know, you think about the the, the year that they have had uh, the last couple of years that they've had since Rebirth, uh, everybody's looking to DC. I mean, in a little bit, we're going to talk about something that's great for DC. And 
Um, this is a black mark on everything that they're doing. And if they don't fire him, I really think that perception of DC could turn. I, I truly believe that. After this article, they can't hide from this anymore. We'll see. So let's 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 have a little fun again. Let's let's talk about something a little more enjoyable. Let's talk about Justice League, the movie. Ah, I, thought, <laughs> I thought you wanted to talk about something enjoyable. Hey man, it, it could be good, right? That's our that's our uh, tagline. Not mine. Um, I never said that. So, Justice League obviously is coming out uh, next week, next third, next Friday rather, or Thursday if you're an early bird. Um, and I critics, am. Huh? What's up, Kale? I am. You're an early bird? Yeah. Oh, yeah. You get up like 6 a.m. Or 2 uh, a.m. if you're doing this podcast. That's right. Uh, but also, <laughs> it, it does come out a day early for me. So, Thanks, Grandpa. No spoilers. Um, so critics are finally able to talk about the film because the embargo has been lifted. And uh, the, re- the reactions are mixed. Um, mixed to positive, I would say. Uh, and comicbook.com released a great article that kind of covers some of the big takeaways from uh, the film. And so one of them is that the heroes are great, that the movie does a really good job of selling these characters. <clears throat> um, and the star of the show is Aquaman which is pretty cool and kind of expected, uh, followed closely by Flash and then Wonder Woman. Uh, So they they kind of feel like those are the standout characters. Uh, Another point made is that Steppenwolf is a weak villain. Yeah. Not a surprise. He's kind of a generic, I'm a bad, evil guy uh, character. Um, And and a stand-in for the character we really want to see, which is Darkseid. Uh, so they have to beat him to get to Dark Side. That's not that compelling. Um, another point is that the backgrounds of everything, because there is a a sort of storyline between the Atlanteans, the Am- the Amazons, and humans that kind of is weaved through the film, and a lot of critics have said that that's messy. Um, and what I think is really interesting is that. Everyone says that this is very much a Zack Snyder movie. Uh, huh. Kevin McCarthy tweeted out, Justice League is a Zack Snyder movie. With the exception of maybe one scene, the movie didn't feel like it jumped in tone from Snyder to Whedon. I've seen it two times. Uh, this is the following is from the article. This sentiment has been echoed across many of the Justice League first reactions, with critics seemingly able to note when Whedon moments come up in the film. Interesting. Yeah. So... It turns out that all the all the things that were being said were true regarding Joss sticking as close as, as closely as possible to what Zack Snyder was shooting for, and that he really just was there as a post production person, uh, as any director would do. Uh, but Zack Snyder couldn't do it, so Joss Whedon stepped in. So I think that's pretty interesting. Uh, not looking forward to the movie. Uh, if it- if it, if it feels like if it's like a Zack Snyder film, um, I, I genuinely don't like any Zack Snyder films. So, there's, I mean, it is, it is what it is, you know. Yeah, um, I don't know. 
I'm looking forward to it. The fact that people are high on some elements of this, I that that gives me hope. Maybe the whole thing isn't good, and that's okay. But you know, I've also heard that uh, the CGI on uh, Henry Cavill's face is actually a problem for yeah. uh, some viewers. <laughs> really? Yeah, that's yeah. hilarious. Try so, bug me. so the uh, so the mustache rides rides high. <laughs> that's, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> that alone makes this must see. <laughs> that, that, wow. mustache, that mustache team is probably pretty upset. <laughs> Can you imagine? You're like, all right, all right, listen, Marco, we're assigning you to remove Henry's mustache. This is going to take like six weeks with a full, like, many teams. You got to make it look good. And this movie comes out, people are saying it's problematic. You're like, fuck, I just wasted three months of my life on this shit. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Man, um, all I want is Superman with the mustache. It, 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 it would have made it 100% worth it if they just stuck with it. That would have been a move. Superman, why do you have a mustache all of a sudden? When I saw you five minutes ago, you didn't have a mustache. I just, uh, Batman, I'm just a big fan of Freddie Mercury. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, in addition to that, uh, Ezra Miller, who plays The Flash, said... That he was inspired by Grant Morrison when he was... How could he not be? Exactly. And the quote that I've got is, it sounds like me. It sounds like me. It sounds like Phil. That's how I know that there is really a network of Grant Morrison fans who really have altars in their house worshiping this man. The following is from Ezra Miller. Grant Morrison is like the high priest of comic book and graphic novel writers. Grant Morrison is my absolute favorite comic book author and the person who really shows me a way into this mythology and then a way through it into just the beautiful scope of everything. I mean, he really goes quite deep. I've been so inspired by his work. Come on. Yeah. I, w- yeah. I wonder if he's read Flex Mentalo. <laughs> the man who's so strong that he punches uh, reality. Yeah. But that's what that whole book is about is it's the love of, you know, the love of comics. Yeah. It's it's a love letter to comics, which is what every Grant Morrison book is, but especially Flex Mental. Um, yeah, I mean, what can you say? Grant is making the hyper crisis real. Comics are a reality. Flash is now a <laughs> is a three dimensional character inside of the Warner Brothers movie. Flash is real. So, I mean, what can you say other than the fact that Grant is making comics a reality, and there's a reason why you should have an altar in your house, because uh, he is the light priest, the Alan Moore's dark priest. That's right. And, and, and now that I met him, I feel that so much more. It's like, I don't know, you, it must have felt like, you know, when, when, when the apostles met Jesus or whatever. How they it's, it's when Jeez. it's when it's it's that painting where God <laughs> it's that painting where God touches Adam up top the Sistine Chapel. When he hugged me, man, I felt I felt like special. Like I felt his, wait, he hugged you? Yeah, we took a picture. Oh with him. shit! Marco wasn't there yet. He was oh, uh, downstairs. Right, right, right. Yeah, um, I really felt his aura, and uh, it was it was special. And no my, one else uh, could know what that was like. So so my. Uh, professor is close friends with him close enough in fact that 
uh, and I, it, it, they're not going to listen, so it doesn't matter if I tell the story, but uh, they were out having a steak dinner uh, with Grant's uh, wife. So they're having a steak dinner, and Grant finishes his. And uh, my professor's eating his. You know, he's got this, this steak sauce or whatever, and he's uh, Grant's just kind of looking at it. So my professor goes, uh, you okay? Would you, do you need some more? Like, his wife goes, oh, yeah, I think he wants your steak. <laughs> so get, so Grant Morrison took my professor's steak and... <laughs> As he was eating it, he just took it? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. What? That's, hey, listen. He was hungry. That's, that's your God, not mine. And your professor was cool with that? I, I mean, I guess they're friends, so I, you know. Listen. I, I would do it not. for at least two out of three of you. I'll let you, we'll I'll let you decide which one I wouldn't. <laughs> It's me. It's obviously the pal that's not here. Pete. I'd give Pete my steak. Two out of three. Yeah, I'd give Pete my steak. No no issue. That wouldn't even be a question. It's Marco. If Grant Morrison teleported (laughs) to my dinner and said, hey, man, I really want that steak, I would say no. Can I have no steak? Yeah. You would say no? So, okay. So, I'm having steak dinner. Grant Morrison teleports in. Grant Morrison says, I want your steak. Can I have a piece of it? Absolutely. Can I have not. all of it? Absolutely not. You can go after yourself. Go order a steak. That's all right. I'll just escape into another reality where I eat your steak. Sean, you're so full of shit. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> I would not give Grant Morrison my steak. I would give Whatever. no one my steak. No one. If if Phil came up to me and said, I'm going to die if you don't let me eat your steak right now. Damn. I would say, dude, I have loved knowing you. <laughs> it's Holy been shit. good it's I been mean, real I mean yeah but that's Phil the afterlife could be good let me know dude <laughs> I'll write into the show and let you know how it is no one gets my steak <laughs> and I'm gonna haunt you afterwards you do that especially your bowel movements it's gonna be they're gonna be haunted okay. I'm down for that now uh, moving right along this is this is some good news for DC. Very inspiring. Because DC Superhero Girls first graphic novel uh came out and it has sold over 100,000 copies. Um that's a lot of graphic novels. Um and so <clears throat> uh so DC did release a statement about this uh, Jim Lee said on a podcast recently, you know what? I think that's one of the reasons we feel so confident moving into this space or our plans of moving into this space in that DC superhero girls has been a consistent bestseller for us. The first volume has sold over 100,000 units at this point. It's actually been one of the most successful elements of that entire program. Um, what, what is this? I'm, I'm unfamiliar with it. So DC superhero girls is just a, a like a project a part of a project that they've been involved in that aims at a younger female audience and so um some of the sh- animated shorts that they do now um you may or may not be familiar with them are directly aimed at younger girls and they feature characters like Wonder Woman, Batgirl, Harley Quinn, um 
Poison Ivy, a bunch of different characters. Uh, and they've got Lego, they've got dolls, they've got all kinds of things. But it's squarely aimed at young girls. Huh, that's really cool. It is really cool. Yeah. It's a really good move for DC. You'd think they'd uh, figure out how to treat women uh, oh, by this. Goodness. Zing. I was worried that that would be the that that would be the takeaway, especially. Uh, I, I actually deliberately did not want to do this story before or directly after the Eddie Braganza deal. Um, I mean, look, I think this is a good move. I think I'm so happy that this has worked out. Um, and uh, I like to think that this is unrelated to Eddie Braganza in any way. I 100% think that is true. Yeah. <laughs> uh but no this this really and truly my i have a uh an eight-year-old sister loves harley quinn because of this uh because of this show i can't get her away from harley quinn as hard as i try um but yeah no uh i i've seen it firsthand like this she loves this stuff little girls eat this stuff up and they need it yeah um you're absolutely right i, I just i just wish that the company would step up and be better. I think they're going to have to. Uh, I really do. I mean, you would have thought that the first time these things came around or the second time or, but here we are. So we started the news with a massive piece of, of, of information. The first half of what made this news week so crazy. And now we're going to talk about the second half. So, Brian Michael Bendis, who has been with Marvel for almost 18 years, is now leaving Marvel. Normally, talking about Bendis, we'd be doing that. Oh, uh, I didn't Marvel know he stuff. died. Well, I thought, see, I thought he would die in Marvel too, but apparently that's not the case. We are talking about this at the end of the DC segment because Brian Michael Bendis now works for DC Comics. Bendis? Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis. Brian Michael Bendis. That Bendis. That that one. Well, uh, that checks out. <laughs> All right. This is Bendis speak, baby. <laughs> oh. <laughs> All right. Uh, so I don't get it. You don't read any Brian Michael Bendis books. <laughs> oh. <laughs> I was going to say, that's because it's a bad Bendis impression, but that's not what it was. Right. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't doing a Bendis impression. I was making fun of the way he writes. We were having a Bendis chat. <laughs> uh, so DC released a statement on Twitter uh, stating the following. We are beyond thrilled to welcome Brian Michael Bendis exclusively to the DC family with a multi-year, multi-faceted deal. He's one of the premier writers in the industry, having created so many unforgettable stories wherever he's been. And we can't wait to see what he has planned for the DC universe. So that knocked everybody's socks off. And, you know, just it didn't even seem like it could be real. Well, Brian Michael Bendis then tweeted out, uh, letting us know that it was indeed real. And he said, this is real. I love you all. Change is good. Change is healthy. I am bursting with ideas and inspirations. Details to come. Stay tuned. So Legit, when I woke up to this news, I was looking all over the article for a date. Like, I, I'm sure this has been a, a practical April Fool's joke 
at some point or another. I thought this was this was news from like 2013 or something. So, Sean, you're like you're the big Marvel guy. Uh, who's the like? What big names do they have right now? Gosh, uh, well, all right. So, I guess Jeff Loeb, kind of. Jeff Not really. Loeb. I mean, I he, mean he doesn't he, really. He, he works produces. for Marvel, but he he does mostly TV stuff now. Yeah, he does. It's, yeah, he's TV now, not really writing. Uh, Jason Aaron. Oh K- yeah, kind of, kind yeah. of, yeah. Uh, Nick Spencer. Kind well, of, yeah. He said big names, not bad names. No. <laughs> <laughs> um. Uh, Kieran Gillen. Okay. Yeah. Dan Slott. Dan Slott. Yeah. Yeah, could be a dance lot. Um, but are those are those exclusive to? They're exclusive, but I think those exclusivity deals don't count. Like they 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 extend to DC. Like they, I think they can okay, still okay. do stuff with like Image and stuff like that. Because um, uh, gosh, why am I blanking on his name? Charles Soule still writes for Image, and he's he writes right. for Marvel, but he can't write yeah. for DC. See yeah. Jason Aaron and yeah. Killing yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. If I understand, like, Jess has a, a similar contract that is basically that she can't work for direct competition, which in the big two case would be Marvel versus DC. So, uh, I mean, yeah, they're, 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 they're hurting right now. We'll talk about that a little more because this is going to uh, transition us into our main topic. So Jeff Johns uh, was one of the first people at the bit uh, to to talk about this on Twitter. Very excited to have my friend Brian Michael Bendis over at DC Comics. Cannot wait to finally do something together, pal. Uh, Rob Liefeld also tweeted out, thank you, Brian Bendis, for making great comics again. Greg Pak, congrats to a friend and mensch, Brian Bendis. Uh, Chip Zdarsky, <laughs> this was the best one. This was tweet of the week. Uh, was it something I said? <laughs> I love it. With no no punctuation whatsoever. Not even a question mark on the end of that deal. Actually, that might not be Tweet of the Week. There's one more that might be better. Dan Slott had a really, really good one. Oh, man. Uh, theory. That weight Brian Bendis has been losing, he's been shipping himself to DC in installments. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> Uh, so obviously the comics world is rocked by this. There were so many reactions, way more than I'm going to read. But one last one that I wanted to read, which was, was from Scott Snyder. Getting to work alongside Brian Bendis is yet another comic dream realized this year. Brian, you're going to slay. Cannot wait. So obviously comics are comic book writers and creators uh, alike are super excited to see what happens? And so <clears throat> one of the questions is what what will occur with Brian's current uh, Marvel books? And is he just gone? As it turns out, um, he's not quite gone yet. Uh, <clears throat> so according to a conversation that Bendis had with a fan on Twitter, uh, Tom Brevoort and Nick Lowe, who are the, the big fish editors at Marvel, are allowing him to not only finish his current runs, but leave the character set up for the future. So here's a tweet from Bendis. I am overjoyed to tell you that the insanely classy and cool 
Tom Brevoort, and Nick Lowe are making this transition with such grace and have generously allowed me final moments with all of our favorite characters, setting them up for the next big chapter. Stay tuned for announcements. So I guess we're going to get a big sort of sappy send-off for him on all the books he's on, um, which is, you know, a nice sort of opportunity that they're allowing him. Uh, so now I want to have the big picture conversation, uh, which is uh, the obvious. Where, where does this leave Bendis? Where does this leave Bendis? Where does this leave Marvel? What does this mean for DC Comics? There's so many, so many huge questions. Um, so first of all, right off the bat, why do you guys think that he's chosen to leave after almost 18 years. I don't think it's any, yeah, I mean, money probably. I think Phil's uh, hand, hand gestures on, on an audio medium are uh, probably, uh, you know, accurate. Uh, money, I think, is one thing. Uh, but I also, I mean, probably exactly what he said. I probably just, you know, he's been there for almost 20 years now. I wants to change, I bet. Um, so I'm, what's his, like, what was his contract like? Like, was it similar to the other ones or was he like only Marvel? Cause again, I'm not familiar with he, stuff. Bendis is top tier of the top tier right now. Uh, so his contract could be basically whatever he wanted it to be. So they created the icons, uh, imprint over at Marvel in part for him. Scarlet was mm-hmm. one of those books that um, he released through there and not through Image or anywhere else. Um, Powers as well. Yeah. So I think I don't think he would have ever done anything with Image or anything like that because he loved Marvel so much. He wanted to continue to write there, but they had to create this imprint to allow him and, and not just him, other creators as well to put out their creator own stuff. Um, he did talk a little bit uh, about this uh, during an interview. Uh, he gave an interview to uh, the Washington Journal, or no, sorry, the New York Times. Um, so this is what he had to say. Am I repeating myself? I was trying to break down that Marvel versus DC craziness that some fans have. Uh, and that that's in relation to <clears throat> him posting about DC characters and sort of his love of them of late. I thought, let's see what's behind curtain number two. I know it was the right choice to make. No matter how scared I am, I know it was a good scared. That's all he's really said as far as reasoning. Um, I have some theories of my own, though, that I do want to share. So, number one is that Brian Michael Bendis used to be a part of the Marvel Film Committee. And the Marvel Film Committee caused a lot of problems, according to reports, when they were putting together some of these films. Because all of them had a say, and it was like Ike Perlmutter's sort of, you know, squadron of people. And it, it, it created a lot of... Sorry. <coughs> Whoa. Goodness. Listeners, our beloved host is in the middle of dying. <laughs> uh, it created a lot of headaches for Kevin Feige. That committee no longer exists. But as a part of that committee, Brian Bendis actually wrote the first end credit scene ever in Iron Man. Um, 
the Avengers Initiative one, where Nick Fury goes to Tony's house, that was Bendis. Uh, Bendis was consulted regarding whether or not Spider-Man should have web shooters or organic webbing in the Sony films. So he's had a lot of say-so in the Marvel film vehicle. That all went away. According to reports, Kevin Feige never approached him about what he thought after the committee was dissolved. And that's a loss of power because Bendis obviously cares about how these characters are portrayed outside of comics. He wrote the Ultimate Spider-Man video game. That was a big deal. Um, but he no longer can do that. Also, uh, Bendis has been the main guy behind the diversity movement at Marvel Comics that started over 10 years ago with his new Avengers run. Putting Luke Cage on the team was groundbreaking. Making him the leader of the team was hugely groundbreaking. Miss Marvel, um, he created Jessica Jones. He created Miles Morales. He obviously has cared a lot about that. He created uh, Ironheart, Riri Williams. So that's a big legacy for him. And to hear David Gabriel, the VP of sales at Marvel, say uh, that diversity is hurting them, that's a, that's a big deal. Uh, and I read reports, I believe, from Bleeding Cool that said that that was actually a heated discussion that the two had privately. So that's two. And then the third is that if you look at what Bendis has been working on at Marvel, they're kind of small potatoes books. Uh, he's no longer the spearheaded guy behind Avengers or X- <clears throat> X-Men. There's nowhere for him to go. He's worked on Iron Man for a long time. Uh, he's had Ultimate Spider-Man forever. Uh, so he's kind of touched every corner. What's left? And on top of that, his contract is up. He's not going to get more money. There's no reason for that. The only way for him to get more money and bring Buzz back to his name is to jump ship. Yeah, the NWO are running WCW in the ground. It's time to hop over to Stone Cold Steve Austin and D-Generation X over in the Attitude Era at the WWF. And that's what he's doing. I'm sorry, I my headphones must be messing up. I I don't did Phil is Phil's microphone broken? All I heard was static. I didn't. <laughs> oh, I'll just repeat it. Uh, Brian Michael Bendis is going to the WWF. Oh wow, that's a big move. I thought he was just going to DC. <laughs> I mean, yeah, that sounds uh, you know that sounds like a lot of conspiracy but uh, you know i i wouldn't discount it i you know in in this business world where people's brands are at stake um and now there are movies movie properties attached uh it wouldn't surprise me to learn that you know jeff johns will be consulting with brian bendis on the dc films you know um uh i don't uh i don't know yeah that that makes sense I don't hate all that explanation. I prefer to think he just kind of got tired of it. But he got tired of it and went to the uh, other company. Yeah. I mean, you know, wanted to wanted to exercise some, you know, his uh, his creative muscles with some different uh, different characters. Yeah, I mean, I don't I think Sean's right. I don't know how much more there was for him to prove over at Marvel. Um, I think if you're a creative person, you don't want to be pigeonholed for too long and this is an opportunity for him to do something different uh and you just you see it all the time with writers who have been around this industry for a long time you have jeff johns who's done everything under the under the sun he's doing tv and movie stuff and 
you know, when he's writing books, it's stuff like Doomsday Clock. With Grant Morrison, he's literally, he's literally done everything. He's, you know, evolved in the industry. So he's doing a bunch of random shit for, you know, indie companies, and he's running his own public, uh, with Heavy Metal Magazine, and he's doing TV. For, for Bendis, this is a chance for him to do, you know, work with an entire new sandbox. It's just a little weird because I never in my wildest imagination thought that Bendis could be swayed or turn away from Marvel. And so for me, the reason why I'm inclined to believe that there was something under the surface other than, gosh, I just kind of wish I had more characters to play with, is that he seemed like the the loyalist of all loyalists when it comes to Marvel. So it just shocks me. I don't know. I had been hearing rumors and like talk on her, like, you know, just, just talk from people in the industry about Brian Michael Bendis and Marvel having friction. Um, just like without even saying any names, like people have told me that like there has been issues between the two for the last couple of years. And, uh, the, the breakup has been amicable seeming, you know, no one is saying there's been no mudslinging of any kind. Um, so, I mean, I mean, it's a good time to jump ship for him too, because Marvel's not getting good publicity, uh, from a creative standpoint. Uh, and DC is on fire right now. Um, so this is a chance for him, you know, he's jumping ship at a good time, I would think. Well, and especially if, you know, if what Sean says is true, you know, the the diversity conversation, not that DC is, ne- is necessarily hurting about that, but, you know, the the Marvel character line has come, come under a lot of flack and it just, it seems, while it's needed, it seems unwanted by a lot of like the core audience and while, you know, it is bringing people in those that core audience and and even you know potentially you know like david gabriel you know some of the the staff they don't want to have that conversation they don't want you know uh they don't want to make that move and if that's bendis's you know uh big push then you know maybe dc will let him do it and you know all the better for dc yeah, I mean, DC does. DC doesn't necessarily have a better situation going on as far as you know having a more diverse roster, um, but they they get better press about it. They get far better press when it comes to this issue, and uh, <clears throat> I guess that kind of that kind of takes us into a conversation about um, what will. What will Bendis' legacy be at Marvel? Because again, he has created a lot of these characters. He has been involved in pushing, um, that movement. Um, but that, like you said, Kale has been much maligned. A lot of people are very upset about that. And so that is in part why some Marvel fans are very happy that he's leaving. Yeah. I mean, I am very outspokenly. To me, Bendis, his 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 legacy of Marvels is when 
he he helped torpedo the core quality of the books to me. Like um, it was already in decline, but to me, it just got worse with Bendis because he was the flagship writer of the company, and while he was while he was the main guy there. Johns and Morrison were the main guys at DC, and it was like, it, it, I mean, there's a like I grew up a Marvel guy, and I transitioned to DC because, in a large part, due to Brian Bendis's writing. I, I kind of think, you know, uh, Bendis's legacy will probably end with his run on Avengers. I just think, you know, which, after which run? Total, you know. Okay. Uh, with Luke Cage being on the team and, and his creation of Jessica Jones and ultimate Spider-Man and Miles Morales. Uh, I just, I think that that was pro, you know, even, even just early Avengers, early Bendis Avengers. I kind of think, you know, that was when, when it was fresh and people were into it and now nobody's really, nobody's into it, you know? So, I, I kind of think his legacy probably ended in like 2012. Like going into this, he's gonna like like, like you guys are saying, he's gonna have that fresh sandbox. He's gonna. I, I think this will be a a new a, a way for him to just spread his wings in a different way, and for him to really experiment. Um, because him coming in, I, I think they'll 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 give him that sort of freedom they give him that range and um they'll allow him to uh maybe make another like avengers but like with the justice league or or uh I, I was really under the impression that he wouldn't take over any of the books that um are going on right now um he's probably gonna start something new maybe not an imprint but he's definitely gonna do something where he'll it'll be his it'll be the definitive run of that character or it'll be the um some kind of like like you know it, it'll be something new it'll be something that will revitalize his his career um from a creative standpoint and that'll start to affect the rest of dc i think i i hope that's true it's just to me i i really i don't think he's written anything good in like 15 years uh like uh, well, hold on <laughs> Because I, I know that's going to come under scrutiny, but to me, yeah. like the only we have to we oh, have to let Phil explain his position for the listener, even though we've already had the fight. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> to me, to me, uh, the only books that I think that were really significant that he did were maybe Alias and and Daredevil, and I, I recognize the cultural significance of Ultimate Spider-Man, but. We recently reread the first arc for a book club episode that we did over the summer. You can go listen to that at your own leisure. And to me, it feels dated in a way I don't think most comics are. It feels like encompassed in the early 2000s MTV generation. And I understand the significance of the book, but I don't think it's very good, if that makes sense. And to me... When you have an entire bibliography that's as vast as Bendis's, and I can only point out two books that I think are, you know, good, I think that says a lot more. He's, he's a name more so than a talent. And the thing is, when you are someone of his stature, you have you don't have a ton of editorial oversight because you were almost bigger than the brand, so to speak. This is true of a lot of authors in this industry. Grant Morrison didn't have like a ton of editorial supervision. 
Johns, so forth, um, Loeb. Um, so him going over to D.C., the only thing I could be optimistic about is that maybe he will have one or two books because he's been definitely over, uh, over, he's over, you know, he's had too many books the last five or six years. And so in that regard, you know, when you have that many books, all of them suffer. So my hope is that if he has maybe one book, he can really focus on it and revitalize his career in a way that I haven't seen in a long time. But it's just, when you have such, in my mind, such a large bibliography of crap, it doesn't make me optimistic in the least. And I don't, I don't think that's a really unique opinion because he's an extremely divisive author. It's not, it's not a unique opinion to say that his work has suffered over the last few years. It is a unique opinion to say that he hasn't done anything good in the last 15 years when most people agree that his taking over the Avengers brought the Avengers back into prominence. And if it wasn't for that, then we don't even know if we necessarily get the MCU that we have because those characters were trash before Bendis took them over. No one cared about Captain America or Iron Man. Coming out of the 90s, after what they did with those characters, those were dead characters. And Bendis alone revived them with what he did in his Avengers book. I, I read that book and I dropped it after Under Siege, I think, which was the first arc. Uh, no. The, the first thing out. Oh, okay. Whatever, the, whatever that story arc was called. Yeah, that's... Um, and really, to, to me, I don't really care. Like uh, The 90s definitely irreparably hurt those characters, but the 2000s didn't make it any better for me. The only, the only author who made me interested in any of those core Avengers characters was Rick Remender on uh, Captain... Or, I'm sorry, uh, uh, Ed Brubaker on Captain America. Uh, but you said for you. Like, we're... Like, Sean's talking about the mass audience. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I, mean, I don't think it's a unique opinion. I mean, I think it's divisive. A lot of people like... Uh, uh, New Avengers, a lot of people hate it, too. Like I said, it's divisive. I mean, look, in, in an industry... It's a polarizing book. In an industry where people don't necessarily have the kind of spending dollars for stuff that they do in other places, I think sales mean a lot more. And for someone to be able to sell this well for this long means something, especially then when his name wasn't what it is today. That means yeah, I don't. No, I totally recognize his popularity. He does sell a lot of books. I mean, maybe he has a vocal minority of people who hate him like me because uh, he does get bashed a lot on the internet. But you're right. I mean, not, his numbers speak for themselves. He's, he's a name. He's very popular. And, and I'll say this. I have never, ever in my life posted anywhere anything about Bendis at all. So there's a lot of people out there who just enjoy his books that don't say anything. I've never done it before. Now... What I won't argue with is that, like I said, over the last few years, they've suffered. I think the books have suffered. I think the quality has dropped. And he's relied too heavily on similar tropes. And sim- and maybe that's because he's been writing the same characters, essentially, forever. But it feels like he kind of just phones it in and does the same thing over and over again. Uh, so Doesn't do his homework now. And that's been a big problem, too. As far as inconsistencies, Civil War Two was wrought with inconsistencies that just didn't make sense for the characters or for stories that had literally taken place that same year. Yeah, or even his Guardians of the Galaxy run, which is completely disregarded. Like he did a, a 
uh, a story arc where he tied together everything that happened between uh, Thanos' conquest and the you know the revitaliz- revitalization that followed the movie, and it was just, it was clear he didn't read it. But don't you, the you, version. don't you think that speaks more to, and I maybe this is necessarily less the case in in the case of the Guardians uh, with what you're saying, Phil, but with Civil War too. Don't you think that speaks more to the Marvel money machine than Bendis? So, uh, Brian, we need you to fart out this book real quick. Uh, just it just make something. Maybe. That is the vibe that I have gotten about that book. However, I don't think that means that you have to do things like take Captain Marvel, who has a very established personality, and completely make her a buffoon for no just just to make her the person who would be against Tony Stark. And but that's I what think he did. I think this, as they say, plot-induced stupidity. Yeah, I think I think if Marvel wanted it that bad, they probably put that hammer down. You know, I don't you know, they probably had him hit notes of her character specifically to go against Tony Stark. If if it wasn't for the fact that this is something that I've seen Bendis do time and time again, I would agree with you. But he has a history of ignoring stuff that other writers have done with characters. Not appear, not appearing to know um, things about characters that he should, um, or just retconning something that he didn't feel like he wanted to deal with. And, you know, it's not like other writers haven't done those things for sure, uh, especially when you're dealing with characters that have histories that expand and extend this, this long. But with him, it felt egregious over the last, I would say, seven years. Sure. I guess, I guess what I'm saying is, you know, does it say more about Marvel that they would go to Bendis, you know, to rescue them and pull them out of this, you know, thing and uh, knowing that he could pull something off that it would at least draw, you know, draw crowds. He was more of a tool than a creator. Yeah, and he and he, you know, is so loyal to them that he was like, "Yeah, sure, whatever, I'll do it." And if it's as you say, you know, they just kind of walked all over him. Well, so we have, you know, we have the perception that Marvel's, you know, evil and greedy, but the reality of the situation is that they approached Mark Millar to do it. He said no. Bendis is the very next person. That would make sense for that in a sales sense. They have always tried to put their top writers on their events because they want them to sell. And that I think that's reasonable. But adjacent to that is wanting it to be good. And I don't think it was good. And a lot of it, the criticism was very negative about that book. But I'm sure that they thought it was going to be good. And I'm sure that when they heard the pitch, they thought it was excellent. Um, it didn't work out that way. And that stuff happens in comics. But... I th- I think with Bendis, what it comes down to is the fact that um, he's unflinching in terms of his approach. Every Bendis book reads the same. And that's frustrating as a fan, especially as a fan of someone, especially as a fan who knew him before he did that. Like, New Avengers had this, but it wasn't to this degree. 
And it feels like he had no, no new ideas. Nothing was fresh. So I'm excited to see what he does at DC, but I have some serious issues with him going over there because I can't imagine him writing any of the major DC characters at all. I just don't, I can't picture it and I don't want, I'm not interested in Bendis' Batman or his Superman or his Wonder Woman. I don't care about that. And yeah, and yes, like whatever, you know, detective chimp, you know, by Brian Michael Bendis will sell a lot of money, but, you know, it's not going to have the the pull that a good Batman book would. Right. And that's the thing. I've seen a lot of speculation. Oh, maybe he'll do some lower tier character. They're not going to do that. Why would they take, why would they get the biggest free agent? in comics by far and put him on Hawkman, you know, that like, no, they're going to put him on something major. Significant. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's like, I think they're going to tease him out because he is so like such a big name. I think he's, he can be left as like leverage S- similar to like when, um, to Marvel using him for like an event or something or, DC can put him on lower tier characters to try to bring popularity to those characters and draw in those audiences for them. And then when they, when they really need to like activate, it's like, Oh yeah, Venice is doing a Batman book. But, <sighs> but in, but in the meantime, using his weight, <laughs> um, using his, his, well, he lost uh, all that. So that's not going to work. Oh, okay. Bad pull. Um, Marco. Sorry. Didn't, didn't do my homework. Marcus um, bat shaming. <laughs> um, but using that to to like revitalize a, a lesser known character or bring them more into prominence, um, I think that's an easy way to use him for him, and also for him to just have more say in a character and express himself a bit more creatively. And then when they need to, just be like, "Oh, you're on Superman. Oh, you're on Batman. Oh, you're on the Justice League." That just seems really um, outside of the way that they operate. Uh, and I'm not saying that that's a negative or positive thing. I think, like, Jeff Johns is never going to step down and write, you know, Nightwing. That's not, you know, like, he's, they will, they will always have him on the top level books. I see you, Kale. I know what he's done before. Ah. He's not doing that kind of stuff anymore. That's not happening. anymore. Yeah, but he's also not going to the other side. But Jeff Johns, but Jeff Johns wasn't as big as he is now when he was doing those books. And Bendis being the name that oh, he is. Hold on, hold on. What? Yeah, he was. Maybe when, not when but, he was doing Stars and Stripes, but like when Bendis got big by doing those books. He wasn't big before. He so did yeah. So did Johns. No, oh, no, no, no. I meant, I meant Johns. I meant Johns got big doing those books. Right. And to, to what Sean's saying now is that where uh, Jeff Johns is now as a writer, he's not going to go back and do uh, smaller characters. Right. But, uh, but what I'm, what I'm saying is that if he went to the other side, he might. No. Like if, doing if, a small character like that is Bendis's bread and butter. I don't know about that. Bendis, Bendis's bread and butter has been writing for the most high-profile books. And do- he doesn't anymore because he's already done them. I don't know. Think about it. His his first his first project 
for Marvel was, um, well, his first couple, I guess, was Jessica Jones, something they allowed him to create, Ultimate Spider-Man, which was the flagship title of their new imprint, and Avengers. That's how he started at Marvel. But they were also, like, dying. Like, they were selling file. That's, you know, they were selling filing cabinets. Like, that's not a an unknown story. They weren't selling. <laughs> they weren't selling. They literally were. At, at this is time. this is a Bendis story. Like when he went in to get the contract for Ultimate Spider-Man, they were selling filing cabinets. Hmm. Interesting. Okay. I can't believe you don't know that story. I didn't know that part of it. No. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like they were hurting when he came on. My question to you guys is: What do you want to see Bendis do at DC? Sean says you can't picture him working on a lot of the flagship DC titles, but it's, the question remains, what do you want to see him do there? I want to see him do either some kind of noir thing, like a detective chimp. Yeah, there, uh, are, there aren't any R's in detective chimp. That'd be a, that'd be a good move. And, um... <laughs> Phil got it. Um, <laughs> I didn't get it. I wasn't going to say anything. No R's. <laughs> You said you said wow. instead of noir. <laughs> God, that's awful. You said you said instead of noir. You said noir. <laughs> oh, did I really? Yeah. And then you said detective chimp, and I went, "Yeah, no, that sounds right." There aren't any R's in detective chimp. <laughs> Boy, this, this episode just screeches to a halt. Indeed. Have you ever heard that having to explain a joke makes the joke unfunny? Hey, listen. <laughs> Phil got it. It was a solid joke. <laughs> it's not my fault you two looked at me like, I, like I'm an idiot. That was a solid-ass joke. <laughs> and I want to see him do maybe the question. Oh, boy. So more no R. Dogs out. No, no R. Right. Yeah, yeah. No, no R's in the question yet. No, no, no R's in the question. <laughs> Can we please? Uh, <laughs> go ahead, Kill. I'd like to hear yours, Sean. Actually, if that's okay. Sure. Uh, to be honest, I I'm very conflicted. Um, I think that he could probably write the Flash fairly well. Uh, if I had if I had to pick a character, that's the one I would pick. Especially considering, again, I just don't feel like they're going to put him on something low tier. So something, I mean, Flash is a, is a high, you know, he's one of the seven. So I think that's, that's where they would probably go. I could see them wanting him to on Green Lantern and that could be interesting. Uh, I mean, look, the face you just made and the reaction you just had, Phil, I'm having to the fact that he's even there. So I, if I have to answer the question, that's just what I, that's my takeaway. What would you want him on now? Nothing. <laughs> that that's the honest truth. I'm so conflicted. Let me just explain it. First of all, I have a love-hate relationship with Bendis. Bendis is responsible in large part his work is responsible for me being a comics fan. There's just no way around it. Ultimate Spider-Man and New Avengers were my gateway drugs into comics. Yeah, and I first- wouldn't Yeah. I, I just wouldn't be reading them if it wasn't for those books. Um, and he carried me through my teenage years. That like, he was the writer of my teenage years. Um, I've I've always followed Bendis's books. 
even if I didn't think they were so good, because I have there's magnetism there, because he's he was such a part of my life, um, to the point where I can't imagine him writing any any kind of DC book. On top of the fact that I don't know that I'm convinced that his writing voice lends itself well to those characters. His writing voice is very much an every man. This conversation could take place on a subway, and and. Those characters are not on subways. Those characters are not walking the streets. They don't talk like regular people because they're not. And it's weird to me to think that he could do Bendis speak between a, in a conversation between Superman and Wonder Woman. That's not right. So uh, you want to get some burritos? Burritos? Yeah, burritos. Uh, maybe. Where do you want to get them? The card, the card with the beans? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, Uh, i can't eat burritos after 5 p.m oh because of the yeah you know what's up yeah because yeah because of the indigestion (laughs) you go to the doctor for that yet yeah i went to the doctor just the other day you know he just gave me some pills ah pills (laughs) (laughs) this is three pages of dialogue in a bendis book (laughs) gaviscon did he give you some gaviscon no that's the -the over-the-counter stuff he didn't wait (laughs) <laughs> so Karen, what do you want to see him on? Uh I think I think you're right. Uh I I do I don't know. Yeah, I ultimately I think I sit where you sit, Sean. Bendis for me, uh, you know, uh my first comic, uh Ultimate Spider-Man Volume 3, like that's where I started. And I think that I think that you're right. He has a very everyman speak, and I think I think at that time that specific time you know he had that 2000 teenage uh, voice and i think now that that audience has kind of grown with him he's sort of kept it for this audience and i think that's both a good thing and a bad thing in that you know his uh his appeal is still there for the older folks like us, but he can't really attract new readers because it doesn't sound like that. Um, I think that's where, you know, creators like G Willow Wilson and, and, and her Miss Marvel title really come in. And I think even that's kind of waning. Uh, so I think, I think you're right in, in, uh, in in your idea of putting him on the Flash, I think that's a good call. I think he's the most every man of of the of the league. I think I would want to see him on. Uh, I'd like to see him tackle uh, a magic book. Um, maybe not necessarily like Justice League Dark, but maybe like a Doctor Fate would be cool. Mm, yeah, yeah. Oh. Zatanna. A lot of people have suggested Zatanna. A lot of have people. You, I don't know. Have about you guys read his, uh, the way he writes Doctor Strange? Beard Bros! Well, I don't disagree with that. Uh, but I think I think there's more fun to be had with the DC magic. Not that I think Marvel's is bad, but I think it's a little more... Uh, and I hate it when people throw around this term, you know, realistic, quote-unquote it follows its own kind of logic that is hard to work around, but DC is just like, ah, fuck, do whatever you want. Um, a lot of people, 
a lot of people have tossed around Shazam. I don't hate that idea. Uh, I think ultimately I'd like to see him on a Legion book. I think his style would lend really well to the the Keith Giffen uh, Legion uh, format that sort of made that book popular in the you know seventies and eighties. Um, maybe you know I think I think uh, there are infinite possibilities, and and if there is an upside. It's probably that, and also the possibility, and I don't think we can really rule this out, that he could be so reinvigorated by this move that he's inspired to switch it up, do things some, somewhat differently. Maybe we get that old Bendis back. Maybe he really was stagnated at Marvel. That's that's realistic. You know, when his Avengers run ended in, what, 2011, he'd already been writing those characters for like eight years, you know? That's a long time. Uh, so it's possible that we get a refueled Bendis and a refueled Brian, Brian Michael Bendis could write anything. So, you know, I'm hopeful. I'm, I'm going to try to be hopeful because it's happening anyway, as much as I may not want it to. And I would like it to be good. So let's see what you got, Bendis. Um, Phil, you look look like you have something to say. Oh, it's just all these ideas. And it's just like, I don't know. He's, he's such a meme writer now that like every time I picture him on like a Shazam book, Legion of Superheroes, it's like I, I picture myself cringing while reading it because it's like almost a satire of itself. I mean, but you're, you're going to do that anyway. Like you don't like the Marvel movies and that's all they are too. So, I know, so I don't want that. Um, um, you don't. You don't DC. like anything that's popular, so you're you're gonna do that anyway. DC Rebirth is popular, and I, I, I'm enjoying that. I I don't dislike things for being popular. That that's that's just a character that, that's characterizing me in a cartoony kind of way. I, I don't like things that I perceive to be bad. That's really what it comes down to, and um. I, I hate shit that just to me feels brain dead. And that's how 2010's Bendis reads to me. It's just like, this is the stupidest shit. Um, I really, really hope that he is revitalized and writes with some kind of humanity. And if he could do that, I think, I don't know if he can write anything because I don't really like it when he writes based off his bibliography. I don't really like it when he writes super powered characters his bread and butter to me, and I don't think this is an unpopular opinion, but is the street level characters. So if he wrote like a Nightwing book in earnest, I mean, maybe that could be really good, you know? Nightwing, Nightwing would do good, Ben speak, I think. It'd be a good book yeah. for that. Yeah. If, yeah, probably one of the better options as far as that goes. But that was my, where my thought went. So I think we can probably just wrap up uh, this conversation uh, I wish Bendis well. Thank you. I mean, you're not going to hear this, but thank you for uh, <laughs> all the years of, of uh, enjoyment that you provided over at Marvel. Uh, I'm very grateful for all of those things, and uh, I hope that your time at DC is a ton of fun for you and a ton of fun for the people who read it, and I will be among those people reading it, whether I like it or not. Um, strangest timeline is Grant Morrison and Brian M Michael Bendis teaming up on a book together. That is the strangest timeline. 
But man, 2017 has been a weird fucking year. That's and right. here we are. It's only going to get worse. Um, so with that, we're going to do some quick words about where you can find us. Uh, let us know your thoughts about this episode. Let us know your thoughts about what you want to see Bendis work on. Tell us the title you want to see Bendis on. And also tell us if you want to see Disney by Fox. Because um, I do. Um, so you can write to us at thecomicspals at gmail.com. So let us know your thoughts on that or anything else. Uh, you can write in, write into, you can write us to let us know, uh, a random Sean, it's question been 55 episodes. I know. I'm just tired today. Um, hey man, I'm pretty rock solid when it comes to this stuff. Uh, not today, apparently. Well, you know, listen, everybody has their, their bad days and I guess today's mine. Uh, thanks God for letting damn, me know, Kale. Kale and Sean really feuding today. It's all Kale. It's all Kale. Kale, Kale listen, big guy. The sun is getting really low. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you can write in with a random question of the week, a buy or sell, or whatever you want. We'll read it on the air if it's good. Uh, we are on iTunes, where we are a five-star rated podcast. You can add to that. Leave us a comment, whatever you feel like doing. Uh, we are at the Comics Pals, wherever your social media is sold. You can write to us to let us know uh, your thoughts about any of the issues that we talked about on this podcast today. And last but not least, we are on YouTube, where you can leave us a comment. Uh, you can leave us a like, share this video with your friends, and let them know that we're out here. And most importantly, subscribe to the channel, because those subscribes help us out a lot. We're on the road to 100, so help us get there. Um, so with that, we're going to do some plugs. Kale. Thanks, everybody, for listening to this episode of the Comics Pals. Uh, I'm going to do Pete's plugs first since he's always here. Um, you can find him on Twitter and Instagram at loud underscore Pete. He is the host of the Video Game Pals, which he and Sean do on, uh, let's see, it gets released on Tuesdays and YouTube on Wednesdays. He's also the host with Marco and I on the Riverdale Review, uh, where we talk about uh, all things Riverdale and how much we hate uh uh veronica and no that's not Whoa. true <laughs> i couldn't think of a joke fast enough how much Alice. we love how much we love jughead um we're trying to have a, a new guest on every week and this week we had uh uh superhero sartorialist uh betty felon on to talk about riverdale and man did she um it was a great episode and it comes out on wednesdays uh, so make sure you uh, check out the Riverdale review before you watch the new episode and uh, get yourself caught up. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Toto in Toe. That's T-O-T-O-I-N-T-O-W. I have uh, comics on uh, Comixology under Panels Comics. And that's all, folks. <laughs> Marco? Uh, you can find me. Um, also with, uh, Kale and Riverdale Review, um, and on Twitter and Instagram at Mr. Marco Animoto. Um, also just wanted to shout out a new book I'm reading. Um, it is The History of Japan from the 19, 1926 to 1939 by manga artist Sh Shishiro Mizuri. Uh, is that that, uh... Is that that uh, giant manga about uh, the history of Japan? No, it's called like uh, Showa something. Yeah, Showa. The, the Showa era. Yeah, Showa. That's cool. 
Yeah. I know, so I know what that uh, is. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, it's been it's been a cool ride and uh I would anybody who wants to learn some history about Japan in a manga form, um, really recommend it. Awesome. Phil. My my audio glitched out during Kale's plugs. Did you give uh Pete's uh uh Instagram and Twitter information, Kale? Yeah. Oh damn, you spared me from doing a really mean impression. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> all right so you can follow me on social media cyborg bebop and uh do my friend pete who's not here today a favor and follow the olive garden on twitter because <laughs> when you're there you're family <laughs> uh oh i've got uh one more thing a uh, friend of the show chris sabella is doing a new kickstarter for a book called uh death defying uh so go find out all about that and give him money because he's awesome cool uh and last and least uh is me um don't you I forget am, it <laughs> i am at sean soapbox on twitter only so don't look for me elsewhere um but uh we can talk about all the big news from this week or wrestling or philosophy or you know whatever never you feel like ever about. pirates never pirates absolutely not don't talk to me about that um but with that we're the comics pal signing off take care guys bye bye check please chaos out here hold on i have to wait 12 seconds because there's an ad what the hell hold on what is this hold on there's an ad are we still there we go are we still recording hold on oh boy now it's Oh god, god. That took us for a long drink of water. She just asked me to add that in. <laughs> I'm gonna leave that whole part. That was so not worth it, you son of a bitch.